fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to FGGGBT. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology, and we make it a reality. We do that. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. With me, physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. Great to be here, Dan. You know, this is a very exciting episode for me because you realize this was my first time back in an actual movie theater. I know you swore never to go back to them again. Um, I may be joining you because apparently they failed to run any air conditioning. The movie ended and I turned to my kids and said, is anyone else sweating like a pig? Um, and they laughed hysterically. <laughs> so, um, But the movie was yeah. great. Well, I can tell you there's that's one more reason not to go back to a movie theater. I know I'll have I will have all of Hollywood upset at me for passing on this message, but I will never go to a movie theater again. Um, I think this is the best thing to happen to film viewing in a long time since the Lumiere brothers. I would argue this is the best thing to happen to film. Um, but let me get off my soapbox because I have to introduce a man who knows plenty about the Lumiere brothers, and that is our enigmatic engineer Ben Siebser. Ben, where are you broadcasting from this week? Dan, I seem to have discovered a mysterious flying base up here in the clouds. It seems very ominous, and I am very worried about what could possibly be going on inside such a secret base. Well, the fact that you found it, Ben, tells you just how easy it is to find. Being in the sky is not going to keep that place hidden. But we're going to get to the Red Room a little later on. But, you know, Black Widow, this is a much... this. People were really anticipating this movie for a long time. Uh, it was one of the first, I think it's the first Marvel release um, in cinemas uh, in, a, in a very, very long time. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong here. But, you know, I'm curious what you thought. Denon, you liked it. You were sweating. I can't tell if that was from the adrenaline from the movie or uh, the air conditioning or possibly, you know, where you were watching, if you were watching outside at a drive-thru or whatever. What was going on for you when you watched this movie? Well, first of all, Dan, I will confirm you're exactly right. You're very precise. This is the first MCU release in cinemas in a very, very long time. That is an exact number, um, and I'm going to go with it and support you on that. Um, second, um, I just love this movie. I, I, I really think, you know, I've heard some people with some slight negative criticisms here and there, but I just loved everything about it. I thought it was, for me, the sort of the epitome of what I want out of a movie like this. Um, action, humor, fun characters, um, some cool gadgets here and there. Uh, uh, that's why we're doing an episode, because there's gadgets and gizmos in it. Um, just all around a big win for me. And I will confirm, the sweat had to do with the theater not having its air conditioning on. I was in an indoor theater, and man, was it hot. But I did discover how strange my family is, because many of them were looking at me, and one of them was actually wearing a jacket in this theater <laughs> that was not air conditioned. So I don't know what's going on with the world, Dan. Um, everything is topsy-turvy. But I love the movie. Well, and I think there might be, there's a generator in this movie, which might be gear-based, so we, I think we've covered it all. Uh, ben, what about you? I know you love everything about the Marvel Universe, so I cannot imagine you've got a bad thing to say about Black Widow. No, I, I had a lot of fun seeing this movie. My uh, friend has a backyard uh, projection screen and projector, and we got to watch, uh, watch it uh, projected onto his, uh, well, garage door-ish. He has a nice screen up. So, you know, it was really fun to kind of get back to that cinema experience without actually going to the cinemas like Denon where you got to worry about that uh, broken air conditioning. 
Well, I think that's actually really cool. A mini cinema with just your friends, that I could possibly see. But with a bunch of strangers on their phone, making noises, eating food, um, breathing their air. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't, it doesn't paint a very good picture for me. But anyway, you know, you guys are obviously the optimist, but you guys are not masters of film and television like I am. And I am. I was not as, uh, I didn't love this movie as much as you guys did. This felt very paint by numbers to me. And this is possibly because I think I watched all of the Mission Impossible movies back-to-back over a two-week span, but this was almost shot-for-shot like Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, (laughs) especially the motorcycle chase scene. It was almost identical. Uh, So (laughs) that was not my favorite part. However, there was plenty of redeeming characteristics, not the least of which was Alexi, uh, who plays the Red Guardian. I loved him. I thought he was just a fantastic character reliving his glory days as Russia's greatest superhero. He was my favorite part of the movie. Um, and uh, Elena, um, uh, Natasha's sister, she was, th- those two were very, very funny together. So there were some redeeming characteristics, but those action scenes, Denon, I think you were just thirsty for action, man. I think that that's probably what it was. Well, you know, Dan, I know you are the expert of TV and movie and film and our analytical mastermind, but as we all know, there really is only one story. And every movie book, (laughs) you know, ever written is really just that story over and over again. So, yes, I'm not surprised it felt like Rogue Nation to you. Um, I also do love the Mission Impossible movies, except perhaps the second one. Um, I love it, too, but it's not as good as the others. Um, But, you know, I do think it's not the story as much as how it's done. And you nailed it here, Dan. The actors um, and actresses in this film... I felt they did an amazing job. They really, really pulled it all together. They worked so well together. Nothing like a fake family convincing you they're a real family in the end. Um, I I just enjoyed that aspect of it. Yeah, and I'm going to say something that's a little controversial here, but I got to admit, I was a little confused during the beginning sequence because you don't actually know that that's Natasha and Elena. Am I getting that right, Ben? And I I didn't write it down. Is it Elena? Elena. All right, thank you, Ben. So that (laughs) master of television and film... At his, on display here. Uh, Yelena and, and Natasha, when they were kids, we see them in the beginning. And the I thought it was a little boy, but it's actually a little girl playing Natasha. And for like three minutes of the movie, I was like, huh, who are these two brother and sister combos? <laughs> so I apologize <laughs> to the actor, everyone listening, but I was very confused. But that beginning sequence did lead to, lead to a very fun part of the movie that I loved. And this, it's fireflies. Um, you know, they, they see a bunch of fireflies out at night. They talk about bioluminescence. I did a whole episode from fa- of Fascinating Nouns on fireflies with Dr. Sarah Lewis, who is a firefly expert. There is a lot of fun stuff in the firefly world from a biological standpoint. But from a chemical standpoint, bioluminescence is so much fun. Uh, Denon, I know that you love fireflies because you love everything like this. What do you think about it? Well, first of all, you're right. I love fireflies. I grew up in Connecticut catching fireflies in jars and using them mm-hmm. as lights So, um, and trying to keep them alive and learning about the importance of holes in the jars. Um, so, you know. <laughs> and how impossible it is, actually. Right. right. <laughs> but what I loved about this is the connection, sort of the foreshadowing of the fireflies, because the mom gives this detailed chemical explanation. And at that point in the film, though some of us knew that the kids were Natasha and Yelena, um, <laughs> you do not know that the mom is a super scientist. But there is an insight, you know, a moment where if you're paying attention, where she clearly has deep scientific knowledge, because that's the route she goes in explaining the fireflies, is the detailed chemistry. What you don't really see is her amazing engineering ability. Um, and we have an amazing engineer on our team. So I'm wondering what he's thinking of this. 
Yeah, well, I too grew up in a area with fireflies in uh, Tennessee, and you know it's very nostalgic, and it's kind of a bummer that we don't have them out here. You know, we're, we're getting the mosquitoes here now in Los Angeles, but not the fireflies. You know, we're we're really importing the wrong <laughs> bug, uh, which is very disappointing. Uh, but I, I love seeing how wonderful the mom was at both engineering and science. You know, it's great to see what a a uh, good impression she made on her children. Although I think the real confusing thing, though, for me with the children was uh, the blue hair. Uh, you know, the dyed blue hair, it was, you know, if it had been dyed red, maybe then I would have figured it out it was Natasha. So you didn't know it either. I love it. Ben agrees with me. I'm not the only one. I was not sh- <laughs> I knew they were Natasha and sister, but I wasn't sure which one was which. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I don't feel so bad. I was very confused. I love that you brought up mosquitoes, Ben. We're in a drought here. How are there so many mosquitoes in Los Angeles? I don't understand. It's driving See. me crazy. You know, I was just going to say, you know, first of all, to your question of the mosquitoes, it's all that little puddles of water that we lie around, um, you know, from our bottled water, probably. So if we, you know, drank out of a tap, we might be better off. But the tap water is horrible, so we can't do that. Um, number two, Dan, I, I think it's great that I actually caught something that you two missed. A little foreshadowing of our own show. We'll discover later the things I missed <laughs> in this movie. But I did get who they were at the beginning. All right, Denny, that's a perfect segue because we need to talk about a very fun scene at the beginning of the movie, which is where the, the Natasha's family, a la the Americans, they're Russian spies living in the United States. Well, they've been, they've been discovered and they've been made and got to get out of the country. And so they, they go to a small airport and they take off on a, on a small little airplane. A couple of fun things happen in the scene. Number one, Alexei tosses um, a big, gigantic trailer filled with stuff and we learn that he's a superhero. And then he tries to jump on a plane, and the plane still takes off. He's on the wing, struggling, getting shot at. All this stuff is going on in this incredible action scene. There's a lot of stuff going on here. Denon, I know that this is clearly the point which you realized what was going on. Exactly, Dan. I had no clue. Um, <laughs> it was really <laughs> funny and disappointing because I literally sat there thinking, how is he not falling off the wing? How is he standing up like that? You know, no sense that he might be a super soldier. Even though he threw the big heavy trailer, I'm like, oh, he's kind of strong. And he used a little leverage there. I was thinking maybe there was a physics leverage thing going on. Or maybe it was, I don't know, made out of lightweight aluminum um, and didn't look as heavy as it was. You know, like I said, I nailed the family. I knew who Natasha and Elena was. Had no idea that this guy was a super soldier. Um, found out later. Because he said he was a super soldier. That was the point. I figured it out. <laughs> well, then the trash dumpster he did throw up, it was actually very, very rusted out. So you, you could be, maybe it was just all rust and that's how he was able to throw it out. I could see that. Uh, being an easy way to mistake it for being something that was light. Now, that sounds like someone who missed the fact that he was a superhero at that point. Is that true, Ben? Oh, yeah, I totally missed that moment uh, watching it. You know, I was very excited about the gunshots and the plane taking off that I completely missed the gigantic loud exaggerated thud of him throwing the dumpster now what about i wanted you re, i'm going to let you redeem yourself here ben i'm going to give you another opportunity what about when he jumps onto that wing is that plane able to lift off and fly that was i know that it seems simple and probably a dumb question but this is the first thing that popped into my mind well so i, I did a little research this is a piper 32r-300 uh we know it's a dash it's the r model because it has the retractable gear. And that's also the original Piper 32-300 could no way make it to Cuba from Ohio. Whereas the 32R-300 could barely make it to Cuba from Ohio. 
So that's how we know what it, what they're in. Um, I think it could lift off. Uh, it would probably have to go a little faster than usual, which I think we see that, you know, they're, they're trying to get those knots to uh, get up to speed to lift off. And it seems like they maybe needed a little bit more speed than usual uh, to get to get lift off there than they normally would have. You know, Ben, I have a question for you on that, though. If he really is a super soldier, which we did not know at the time, um, except maybe the experts in the audience, Dan. Um, but, <laughs> you know. And on the panel as well, and in the brain trust. The experts in the panel knew it as well. But yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. Continue. So, but I think, uh, I feel like super soldiers may have an increased density, um, but hopefully it's not so much of an increased density that this still prevents the takeoff. I think they're still okay, Ben. Um, is, is he well within the parameters as a super soldier? Yeah, th this uh, airplane has uh, qu quite a lot, can carry a few thousand pounds of payload. So, you know, there's not much risk there unless he's very, very heavy. Um, the real con concern I had was could he actually hold on? Uh, and uh, disappointingly, actually, I could hold on. Uh, you know, it's actually not that hard to hold on to a wing lying down uh, during takeoff, even at max cruise speed of this aircraft, which is about 180 miles per hour, uh, you only need to hold about 100, uh, 170 pounds of, of grip strength, which uh, I think most of us could uh, hold on to that. Uh, so yeah, he, he could have actually been hanging off the wing the whole trip to Cuba, probably. Well, especially if your life is on the line, we all know the amount of adrenaline that kicks in. We, as normal human beings, the three of us, are capable of superhuman feet under those kind of conditions. So a little disappointing, but good to know. I'm glad we've answered that question. But now we got the fun stuff out of the way, guys, because there's some insidious topics in this particular episode, not the least of which is mind control. Uh, so we're going to get into this, but on previous episodes, you know, we've talked about how mice can be controlled through optogenetics and brain implants and using light and in photosynthetic algae. You know, we've talked about all that. You know, Neuralink has a whole video where um, a monkey can control a pong stick uh, with his mind. I think that's what it's called, a pong paddle. Uh, so there's obviously implants that are involved. There's all kinds of invasive stuff going on right now. We're not going to talk about that. Because this show is very specific about chemical mind control, chemical subjugation, and conditioned mind control. Uh, and I want to talk about chemical mind control because, you know, one of my favorite topics that, that plays right into this is the CIA mind control experiments, also known as MKUltra. And this is where the CIA... On official business, although I think it was, you know, kind of hidden through through uh, through black budget, but they looked into mind control from the 19 to 1953 to 1973. It was run by a guy named Cindy Gottlieb, and they used LSD and electroshock therapy to kind of make the mind pliable through LSD and electroshock therapy to to what the goal was was to destroy and obliterate the current personality and then insert a brand new personality that both had, um, you know, that was new behaviors, uh, new thoughts, new attitudes. That was the idea behind this. And that really happened. They wanted to insert creative vacuum and insert a new, a new personality in there. This was really going on with chemicals, with LSD. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on this first, Denon, and I will allow you to have your own thoughts on this. Well, well, thank you, Dan, for letting me have my own thoughts. I, I do think, you know, obviously this raises the question we've faced often on this show is how unethical um, certain research has been throughout history. Um, but at the moment, leaving aside the extreme lapse in ethics, what's interesting about this compared to what we kind of see in Black Widow is 
the permanence of this chemical manipulation, right? It's really an attempt um, to do a brain wipe and a reboot. Um, and so it's, it's, I think it's, it's using chemicals, but using them with a different approach than what Black Widow implies, where the chemical manipulation turns out to also have a cure. And so that's an interesting sort of twist on this. Um, and it's very different than some of the other um, things we've seen um, in past shows that you said, you know, as you referred to with implants. There's none of that going on. Um, you know, the electroshock therapy is the, is the part that's kind of disturbing to me but really could go to wiping out connections using electricity. Um, and, you know, um, Ben, I know you're roughly in this field, though obviously you're not doing anything unethical um, that we know of. Um, but how do you see this whole LSD electroshop working together, this combination of electricity and chemistry? Yeah, so it's interesting because electroshock therapy is, is often used to treat s some mental illnesses, and it kind of helps break the brain out of cycles that are uh, detrimental to uh, that that are causing the, the sickness that you have. Uh, LSD is interesting because what's what's interesting about a lot of these uh, hallucinogens is that they kind of allow your brain to form new connections that you otherwise wouldn't have. And so, using you know combining the two, you know you're you're breaking old connections, you're creating new ones. Uh, and because it's a hallucination, you could be heavily influencing those. I could see how you could, you know, manipulate that process with a lot of uh, practice into creating some very strong conditioning responses where you're you've you just kind of put people in the kind of their own world through this uh, crazy and very unethical process. Well, and I do want to mention the CIA did create remote six remote-controlled dogs during this period. So there was a lot of very interesting <laughs> stuff going on here. Um, but, you know, when we're talking about chemical subjugation, it's very similar to, you know, condi classical conditioning, you know, psychological, which we're going to talk about later on. But I want to keep on this chemical, you know, this chemical mind control idea for a second, because one of the interesting things is that they seem to be controlled remotely Remotely, and I would imagine that mind control, at least how I understand it, would be you would be controlled, someone would give you a command and you would go out and do it or be, you know, controlled that way. This remote act, the aspect, this, you know, uh, I think, uh, you know, that's the interesting part of this for me, Denon. Oh, it really is. When I was watching this, I, I was struck by the fact that they never really made the connection you need to make between the chemistry and what it did and the, the actual source of, of, you know, delivering a command, right? And what the antidote... The CDS, then, is what you're talking about, the command right, the delivery command, system. The command delivery system, because, you know, when I think of chemically altering and controlling the brain, it's about creating a certain predisposition, right, and a certain personality that, you know, they're likely to follow, they're more likely to follow orders. And, and actually, you just sort of give generalized orders. Here's your mission, go do it. And, you know, they'll be committed to the mission. And you see that to some degree, but it's really interesting that you see the precise commands, like when the woman um, shoots herself um, with her, her wrist thing. Though I have a question about that later. But, but you know, this precise command, I wonder, you know, if it's perhaps connected to the tracking devices. That would be my sort of engineering proposal. Um, it is a little weird, though, because the tracking device is in the leg, but it's the only thing receiving signals and loosely connected to the body. Could I put 
a command delivery system in the leg and connect it to those nerves, Ben? Is this actually at all possible? Well, I could see the the leg tracker being kind of the antenna and radio for a system that's maybe throughout their cool uh, Black Widow uh, uh, cat suit situation where, you know, th- there's got to be a lot of tech going on here. You know, maybe they have we know they can talk to each other. So you could certainly be getting uh, commands through the earpieces and then the the leg pieces. That's just evidence that there's a nice radio system for them to talk through the earpieces, too. One thing I wonder about, though, is how is 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 there an entire separate satellite network set up for this communication or is he just using the regular cell network? You know, these widows are going to be operating in places where traditional cell networks probably aren't in place. And I do wonder if, you know, he's probably, you know, maybe he's hijacked the satellite phone, one of the satellite phone networks. But I really wonder, you know, if he forgets to pay his uh, cell phone bill or he gets cut off because of some uh, sanction, uh, does his widow program like all of a sudden fall apart because he can't uh, access the cell network anymore? You know, that's I really wonder, does he have his own parallel cell network? Uh, here, which would be a very powerful uh, example of his both engineering and money that he has going on here. Well, I mean, I just love the fact that, you know, much like Al Capone got taken down by income tax, the fact that the entire Black Widow program could be taken down by a simple accounting error uh, and refusing to and forgetting to pay a bill. Uh, that's a very funny little thing here. And I also love the cat suit situation. That might be one of my favorite phrases you've ever uttered, Ben. The cat suit situation in this, uh, in this movie is definitely at an all-time high. Um, but, you know, one of the things that snaps people out of this mind control situation um, is the red spray? I don't know if it has a name in in the movie, uh, but it, you know it's this it's this vial of of a red gas that dissipates very quickly. It's clearly an antidote to mind control. It has some kind of immediate chemical response. You know the speed of chemistry in this particular situation is you know it almost gave me whiplash. What what do you think here, Denon? Yeah, I was I was amazed at how fast that worked. Clearly, um, it, it it is doing something. It, well, it implies that the chemicals that are controlling them are still very present in the brain because you could imagine two things, right? I feel like you could imagine chemically altering the brain permanently to make new connections where right. the antidote might have to restructure the brain and that seems slow. Or you could imagine it really is just sort of chemical blockers that are in place. And perhaps maybe the, the chemical blockers, they have to constantly be fed so that they're always refreshed in the system. And that, you know, sort of like um, an anti-blocker, these just come in and knock those out. Um, clearly, it has something to do with the nose. Um, I, I've learned from Ben, and he can go into the details here, you know, that your nose is directly connected to your brain. So maybe that helps speed this up. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, th- if you look at a human skull and you see the, the nasal cavity and the sinus cavity right behind where your, uh, your nose is, you can see that it's directly connected to the brain. You know, there's there's a hole back there where the bundle of nerves from the olfactory sensors go back into your brain. And so it, it's a very efficient delivery system, both for, for information. That's why scent is such a powerful memory uh, source is because of how well tied into the brain it is. But also it, it's a great way to get uh, chemicals pretty 
it close to the brain. And that's why, you know, when you snort drugs, it has such a rapid effect. So I, it's not surprising to me that, you know, if you're snorting this red gas, which is probably a drug of some sort, that it can act so quickly to break this mind control because it's getting those signals into the brain so quickly and starting or stopping whatever chemical reaction is uh, leading to the mind control. Well, you know, th that made me think of something, you know, as you mentioned, drugs, cocaine, obviously is snorted, it goes immediately into the brain. Uh, I've never seen this in person, but on, you know, as a master of television and film, I've seen this in lots of movies and TV shows where people kind of instantly go, Rah! after they <laughs> snort cocaine. Uh, now, as a kid, you know, this kind of made me think of something that was, you know, kind of weird, but I grew up in the era of candy cigarettes. So people, kids would walk around and buy candy cigarettes and they would also snort sweet tarts, which I thought was very strange. Now, is there any is there any connection between an immediate sugar high and snorting sweet tarts? Not that I know of. I mean, the sugar if, if it's if it's if there's glucose in the sweet tarts, then if that sugar could somehow cross the barrier into your bloodstream, uh, I could see it giving you like some a straight glucose hit to your uh, bloodstream. But I don't know how uh, how rapidly uh, available. Uh, glucose is able to kind of get into the blood through that. That uh, Denon, do you have any ideas on that? Well, I'm just stuck on the image of Dan knowing anyone who snorted sweet tart. Um, that that like <laughs> like froze my brain right there. Um, you know, I you know Dan, I think that is the classic psychosomatic effect. I I mean, it it could it could be something there, but I feel like it's psychosomatic. It did make me realize something though. I don't know why this connected um, back to the chemical process here. Um, Yelena does mention that while under the chemical influence, she could still like tell her true self. And there was just this layer over it making her do stuff, which actually confirms the theory we've discussed that the chemicals are there all the time and the antidote is immediately attacking those chemicals. So I'm feeling better about the speed of this, Dan, and it's all due to your sweet tart, sweet tart story. So I appreciate that insight um, into the whole system. Well, I do want to tell you one other thing here. I probably shouldn't, but it's too funny not to tell you. Um, but, you know, as I mentioned, candy cigarettes, snorting sweet tarts were available. Uh, someone from my high school just made national news for skinny dipping in someone else's pool uh, and getting busted with drugs uh, <laughs> by doing that. So that was a very interesting, fun thing to read. I'm not going to name names, uh, but if that's any indication of what snorting sweet tarts as a kid will do to you, kids, stay off the sweet tarts. Don't be snorting them and don't be buying candy cigarettes, which probably don't even exist anymore. Um, but, you know, this connection between smell is very important. You know, this is um, from things that I've read. And this isn't exactly I don't know. I don't have any science behind this, but I believe that newborn babies, you know, skin on skin contact um, creates a very a physiological response in, in, in babies. Uh, they have a very close connection to smell. They can't see very well. A lot of um, from what I understand, babies can actually that's how they bond with the father is how he smells. So there is this very strong connection at a very, very young age to smell, which I think is very important. And it leads us to one of the, the craziest things in this film. Um, you know, to, there, there's this pheromone 
connection that stops Natasha from killing Drakeoff. This was something that was put into her brain. Uh, you know, there's this aspect of mind control, so she could not kill him. And in order to um, to stop that, she severs, quote unquote, severs her nasal nerve by breaking her nose. So first of all, uh, the the pheromone aspect of this is very interesting. And then Ben, I'm curious as as our as our um, as our biologist on the show, is it is that the right way to go about this severing your nerve? No, I think she would have had to get like some laparoscopic sinus surgery ahead of the mission for that to have worked. Uh, you know, the 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 nerve pathway for our smell does not go through the forehead. It goes basically straight back from your nose straight into your brain. It's a very protected uh, set of nerves. And so you could not sever it that way, unfortunately. Um, so that whole pro problem... That would not have fixed her problem, most likely, unfortunately. Yeah, this is one place, Dan, where I really felt um, it, this was just put in for dramatic um, purposes because I love the fact that he turns out to be too weak to break her nose, right? That she is trying desperately to get him to punch her in a way <laughs> that will achieve this. He fails, so she has to slam her forehead on the desk. So cinematography and cinematically, I loved that that's what they did. In practice, a good peer of you know nose plugs or nose filters seems to be all you need. I personally rate this as the dumbest protection put in place by any bad guy ever. Because um, <laughs> the other thing you do is once you realize it, great. You just like wait till you're outside at a reasonable distance and take them out with a sniper rifle. They're all experts with sniper rifles. We know that from the place where we learned she tried to blow them up, right? Because mm -hmm. the pheromones only go so far, like really a few feet before they dissipate. So it's really just an up-close and personal defense. Um, I'm also curious to either of you. I, just, I was stymied by how you actually connect um, smelling something to stopping every possible avenue of violence. Um, mm -hmm. Because she comes really close. That seemed a, a, bit, a bit of a stretch even for, for me. I mean, you might be right. I mean, I think that that smell halts any malicious action towards him. That would be my indication. And because the brain knows there's a, a, a chemical signature for malicious intent, I'm imagining, I'm really speculating here, but I imagine <laughs> that there's a very specific chemical signature. Um, ben can confirm that for me. Uh, what do you think, Ben? Uh, yeah, I, well, it's certainly possible that you could have a smell that kind of tamps down your violence. But that makes me wonder, and I'm curious about your thoughts on this, is... Does it stop you from killing just Draco or can she not kill anybody if she's in his presence? And then that makes me wonder, like, are these do they then become the worst possible bodyguards if they're near him? Uh, if somebody's trying to attack him and he's asking them to protect him? Oh, you know, I'm totally with you on that one, Ben. You just triggered a great thought. I could imagine. Let's redo that last scene, right, where all the Black Widows fight Natasha on his command. His pheromones are in that room for a while. So all of them, I would have loved if for like the first five minutes of the fight, no one could hit anyone. Like they all keep going at it <laughs> and the pheromones just keep stopping them right before they kill. And, you know, as the pheromones dissipate, finally they can fight each other. Because I, I do, I'm with you. I don't know how you make it that specific to him. Also, Dan, to your point, there's clearly a time delay because her fist gets very close to stabbing him. And she's able to pull the gun on him with malicious intent. And her brain does not stop pulling the gun. It's only the last act of the trigger or the last bit of the knife. So I do think, you know, I think it's a very cool concept. 
I think this is the one that's the least grounded in the biology and chemistry, if we can say that, about a film on mind control. Dan, I really like there how it does explain why he left the room. You would think he would want to watch Natasha die, you know, like, you know, I mean, it's the classic spy movie error is not watching your enemy get killed. But maybe he had to leave the room because his widows couldn't take care of her if he was there. Yeah, I think that, that that might be right. And I think, you know, to, to, to your point, uh, Den, and this may not be chemical, I just want to very quickly talk about conditional mind control, uh, also known as brainwashing. You know, I, I was, I'm going to put up an article about this. I'm not going to go into too much detail, but basically this is changing your thoughts against your will. And it requires isolation, a complete dependency on the subject. A great pop culture reference would be how Theon Greyjoy is um, brainwashed by Ramsey Bolton. Um, you know, it, it, you, you affect everyone's, it basically changes who you are as a person. And I think once you change, you know, once you've destroyed a personality and replaced it with a new set of behaviors, attitudes, and beliefs, then I think maybe that would speak to not being able to kill him from a philosophical standpoint instead of an actual physical standpoint. Really quickly, what do you think about that, Denon? Well, that would certainly make more sense and be more likely. And clearly, um, she's broken that because she was able to try and blow him up. She's broken her training. And that's why at the last minute it would not help him in that room because she's managed to overcome any conditioning that was there. I think that's why they had to throw in this pheromone, pheromone, pheromone um, effect because um, the conditioning had clearly been broken. But you're right. And I think it's interesting. She is the product of conditioning because she never had the chemicals. You know, I think that that really explains a lot. And classical conditioning, you know, we could argue is something that Drakov employed uh, on his daughter as he turned her into the Taskmaster. And I think the Taskmaster is just a great, possibly one of my favorite villains in the MCU so far because she uses this helmet basically to track the movements of the Avengers, of the enemies she's fighting, and even of fighting styles in general. We see her watching a video earlier in, in the movie to, to be able to be a perfect mimic uh, when fighting other people. I really love this. What did you think about this, Denon? No, I loved it too, uh, Dan. And I, what I really liked is the, the combination of kind of the conditioning and but also both the chemical because she needs the red dust to be freed. But also, I think there was a lot of mental um, conditioning and she was relieved, so greatly relieved to find out that her father had actually finally been killed and she did not have to do this. Um, I'm fascinated by the suit. I think there's great tech there because clearly this was not just her natural physical ability. That was part of it. But, I mean, she was fighting with the strength of the Red Guardian, who we all know because we watched the movie closely and carefully was a super soldier. Um, mm -hmm. Some That's of right. us sooner than others. Um, That's right. She, she's able to go toe-to-toe, -to -toe, if I might say, with a super soldier and even kind of um, beat up on him a bit at times. So I think the suit has some clear technological advantage. You know, um, Ben, are you on the suit side or is this biology? What's going on here with, um, with the Taskmaster? Well, I think it could be a bit of, I think it's a bit of both. I would imagine that Taskmaster has got, undergone a lot of the similar widow training in terms of becoming more agile and strong and, uh, you know, flexible and things like that. But then I think it's the suit that amps up that uh, power level because realistically, if you're going to go toe to toe with a super soldier, uh, you either need the super soldier juice yourself or you need some sort of mechanical advantage. Uh, like uh, Iron Man has. And so 
I, I tend towards that the Taskmaster suit is very similar to an Iron Man suit in that sense, that it's uh, giving her a lot of strength. It's got some great hydraulics and things like that going on in there to amplify her power and movement. And I think that's all important. My favorite part of this was just this idea of learning, A, martial arts styles, but also the styles of someone specific. Because martial arts, each type of martial art has a very specific purpose and a very specific focus. If you look at boxing, it's all punches, no kicks. It has rules. You can't kick, you know, you can't hit someone in the groin, right? It's the most versatile way to punch, but it also has a lot of downsides. So learning Aikido, all defense, no offense, being able to use your opponent's strength against you, judos, throws, you know, that's what that's, you know, that's the focus there. There's also locks, you know, there's grappling holds, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, traditional wrestling. This gives you locks, um, holds, you know, ways to subdue your opponent. It's the combination of all of these things. It's kind of what MMA is about, mixed martial arts, where you kind of mix all these together, uh, mixing martial arts together. I think that's where they got the name for that. Uh, and, and I like this as a fighting style, but also the advantage of knowing what your opponent is going to do. You know, Hawkeye's going to use bow and arrows. You can learn how to use bow and arrows. You can learn how to brawl like the Hulk, even if you can't have the strength of the Hulk, you know what they're going to do. This, to me, just creates the perfect fighting machine because not only does she know what you're going to do, when you're going to do it, but she should know, with the uh, with the advantage of AI, um, how to counter that particular blow, that particular offense. This is what I loved. Ben, I know you love bi biomechanics and you're kind of a biomechanical expert. What did you think about this aspect? Well, I really like you bringing up the MMA because MMA is... Very interesting in that it's kind of a science experiment in that you have all these different people of different backgrounds with different fighting styles coming together and testing in a scientific way what fighting style is the best way and t is the best. And Taskmaster has a very similar thing. They, they have observed all the superheroes. They've watched the tape. They've seen all of this stuff and they've been able to figure out how do I best fight all of these different heroes with all their different powers. And in some cases, they've just wholesale stolen. They've taken like Hawkeye's aim. You know, you, you see her uh, firing an explosive arrow at Natasha in the beginning to get back the uh, Red Room juice. And then you see uh, the, you know, going toe to toe with Red Guardian with the uh, Red Guardian shield. You know, th there's just all this amazing capability that learning systems can give you in fighting like this. You know what? Um, ex exactly right, both of you. But but um, Dan, little mm -hmm. disappointed in your analysis here um, uh -oh. because you missed only because you missed something. The analysis is spot on, excellent. But but you missed Andre the Giant, um, wrestling great, um, uh -huh. in his role in Princess Bride explains <laughs> to 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 the hero why he is losing the fight because the fighting style he needed against a single opponent is different than the fighting style of groups and he had spent the last three years fighting groups so andre the giant had analyzed this conundrum very early in the princess bride movie and i know your love of wrestling dan i was a little surprised you missed that reference for this but it is clearly all about strategy matching your style to the situation well i will tell you you know as we learned in the loki episode for every three hits i do have one whiff and this is the whiff you're witnessing it right here firsthand but i love that you bring up Andre the Giant because one of the downsides of the Taskmaster is you can't teach strength and you can't teach height. And so the Taskmaster <laughs> is limited 
in uh, in her range, her, you know, her physical range is only of a physical size, and her physical strength even enhanced by the suit. Obviously, Taskmaster can't go toe to toe with the Hulk, or at least we don't think so. But this, the Taskmaster, is just so much fun. I, I just love her as an enemy. Uh, she was really great. Um, but you know, obviously, I omitted Andre the Giant from my analysis, and that can't be the only errors, additions, or omission here. Then, is there anything that we missed that you wanted to talk about for Black Widow? Well, there's one big one, Dan. Drakeoff clearly does not understand the power of two-factor authentication to secure his systems. Um, because, you know, I have to do that now, and everything I break into requires, you know, a code from my cell phone or something. Um, all Natasha has to do is steal his ring, and she breaks into the computer system and shuts it all down. Um, she should have had to steal his ring and his cell phone um, if he was following best safety protocols. Um, he needs to take his cyber training. So not only do we fall apart when we don't pay our bills, it shows take your cyber training course. Um, so that, that was, uh, you know, the big one for me. The other one I really had is Red Guardian dude. You know, he's hanging on the wing. We learned from Ben. Anyone can do that. I'm really excited. I'm not sure why that's disappointing. I got excited when I learned I could hang from a wing. Um, but what I don't <laughs> understand is how he got into the plane. Um, just where the doors are located, opening a door in mid-flight. You know, he's clearly sitting in the plane by the time they get to Cuba. Um, that was a mystery to me. Um, so two-factor authentication and getting into planes in flight, those are my two. I think those are great things to consider. Uh, ben, did you consider those or did you consider other things in this section? Yeah, speaking of two-factor, I, I do wonder about, you know, why didn't he also have a password? You know, two-factor authentication, it's you really want something you have and something you know. And not having the something you know system there with like a password was a big mistake. The other thing I really liked about the movie was Yelena uh, taking down Natasha for her pose landings, <laughs> which, you know, it looks cool, but it probably doesn't help you land better. I think I think Yelena had it right. You probably want to do more of a squat landing where your muscles are absorbing uh, more of that shock and maybe then go into a roll uh, landing with the pose with one leg out and the fist. Uh, you're probably going to break some knuckles and maybe uh, overextend your hip uh, hip flexors there. No, she she nailed it for sure, because one of the first things you learn in martial arts is how to take a fall, how to take a roll, and those kind of poses, even that Iron Man fist to the ground thing, it may look cool, but it's not functional at all. It's even a little silly. Uh, I have, uh, you know, one the only air addition mission I have is I love the nickname the Crimson Dynamo. That's even a better name than the Red Guardian. That was easily <laughs> my favorite nickname for anyone. Uh, so we actually have a question from the audience here, guys. Uh, this this is, this is a question that comes to us from Tef Job, and he says, Hello, Brain Trust. I have a question that the, only the three of you can answer. My curiosity was struck while listening to the, the One I Love episode. Now, I'm a Louisiana man, and there's one thing I, if there's one thing I know, it's bacon. I can smell the difference between streaky bacon, middle bacon, cottage bacon, and even collar bacon. I don't know what any of those things are, so we might have to look into that. Uh, granted, I'm more familiar with bacon than most, but the idea that cooked bacon would, the, the cooked bacon smell would disappear is preposterous, and this is great proof that the whole movie is all a dream. However, if you wanted to get rid of a bacon smell quickly, how would one do it? 
is there a way to cancel the smell with another smell? Like, you know, how you sniff coffee grounds at the perfume counter? Thank you in advance. Uh, this is a great question. Uh, I was kind of wondering this myself. Obviously, we mentioned, you know, high pressure, um, you know, air ventilation system. But is there a smell that would counteract the smell of bacon and either produce another smell or eliminate it completely? I don't know. That's where my mind went. Um, I'm going to go chemistry first, then I'm going to give you first crack at it. And then Ben, bacon man, I'm going to let you do, do, take it home. You know, I think you'd have to go for something particularly I, horrible. I was first thinking, are there other good smells that would overwhelm the bacon? I think they would just blend together to make an even better smell, and you would still detect the bacon there. Um, maybe go with something horrible to overwhelm it. I, ironically, we were just recently buying a, a used car for my daughter, and I think this is a very challenging problem because um, the first car she got into smelled like smoke. We rejected it. Um, and one of the later cars she got into smelled like um, you know, that pleasant, you know, new car thing spray over smoke and you can still smell the smoke um, and, and yeah. distinguish the two. So yeah. I have a feeling you may be screwed with the bacon in terms of using chemistry. I think you're stuck with high powered fans. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think I think bacon is I mean, bacon smell is is, is pretty smoky. It's a smoky smell. And we all know that it's very difficult to get the smoke smell out of something. And I think the reality is you have to use mechanical means when you want to have very few permeable surfaces. So, you know, make your uh, kitchen all granite, all stainless steel, no, no blinds, no curtains. And then, yeah, you're going to, you want to keep that smell from settling. So you do need those fans. Uh, you know, maybe there's some, you know, organic solvents that could get rid of it, like how they clean up crime scenes. Uh, but that that's like my best guess be beyond just not letting the smell happen in the first place. Well, you know, I remember going to, you know, to, to clubs when I, when I would would smoking was still allowed indoors and coming home smelling like smoke and that smell would just stick to clothes forever. Uh, I'm a little surprised that our best answer is contact the crime scene forensic <laughs> disposal unit, but maybe that is just how powerful uh, bacon can be. Uh, and, and that tells you, you know, the power of bacon, as you mentioned, Denon, the power of bacon explains it all. Uh, but, you know, if, if you've got questions, general correspondence, comments, or even topics you want to hear about, we're easy to get in, get a hold of. You can find us on social media. The show is on Twitter at FGGBTPod. We're on Facebook at FGGBT. And it's only been five years, guys, and almost 100 episodes. But we have an email account, questions at FGGBT.com. But it doesn't end there. You can get in touch with us individually. Denon, where can people find you? Well, people can find me on Twitter or Instagram. Just flip my name. It's at Denon Michael. And then find me on Facebook. You put a prof in there, at Prof Denon Michael. And Ben, where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. How do you spell that? B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. And I can be found on Twitter, at Daniel J. Glenn, on Facebook, at Analytical Mastermind, and on Instagram, at The Daniel J. Glenn. And when you're listening to us on your favorite podcast service, make sure you're subscribed and always rate and review. And if you're watching us on YouTube, leave a comment down below so we can hear your thoughts and like and subscribe. 
And don't forget, if you want to, if you comment, send us a message, contact us on social media. That comment may be featured on a future episode, which is very exciting. We love getting these, these questions. Is a Glenn and finally, this show contains powerful scientific information, such as mind control, uh, which obviously super villains would use to dominate the world. And you don't want to be a super villain. You want to be a superhero. So use this information properly. Now, of course, and until next time, episode, thank you for listening. And you've gotten this far. You're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, ftriplegbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there ftriplegbt.com and before you leave don't forget to check out our other episodes you can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio only version depending on what you like we got it for you and if you do like those videos you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well we're on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn and once again if you like this show you're going to like everything that I do go to danieljglenn.com to find out more thank you for listening